You know what time it is. It's time for the menace. Keen is an online fitness trainer hailing from the west of Ireland. He is author of the Amazon best-selling book, The Fitness Mindset, and hosts the number one rated health and fitness podcast in Ireland and the UK. He's the proud owner of Brian Keen Fitness, a company that serves thousands of people each year through their online fitness programs. Brian is also just a normal guy trying to make it his and the lives of others around him better. I first came across this material during an ambiguous time in my life. Rejected from medicine for the fourth time, the mindset side of his material really helped me get over the opinions of others and to stay focused on the task at hand. He, like myself, has also taken the road less travelled. Working as a primary school teacher in London with a child on the way, Brian, feeling totally unfulfilled, decided to pack it all in. In this podcast, he explains about going broke twice hitting rock bottom, and the many, many failures he had before making it to the top. We speak about our type A personalities and the inability to appreciate the moment by always looking too far in the future, which only leads to feelings of anxiety. We discuss money, and if it truly is the be-all, end-all. We, di- we dissect what it means to be a dad and the pressures it brings, but also how much perspective it br- affords to a person. Finally, we chat about his astounding 250-kilometer run through the Sahara Desert and how a guy who hates running was able to finish it. I thoroughly enjoyed editing this episode as each time I listened in, I pick up a new trick or two. And I think you guys will really enjoy the episode and, and feel the same. This man is a true teacher and life mentor. So this is episode 22, Keep Moving Forward. Let's get this party started. Brian Keen Fitness, Brian, how are you? I'm amazing. Thanks so much for having me on. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. The funny thing about Brian is he finds himself back in Connemara, where actually I'm from, and I'm up in Belfast, and we're doing this over Skype. It's a little bit of a, what would you say? I, well, it wasn't until we were chatting before, and I'm like, I could have dropped into you on the way home. Like, you're like, I'm actually not that far from you, where you grew up. I'm like, man, I should have just dropped in on the way home from the gym, but next time, next time, for round two. (laughs) <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the serenity, living out west. Uh, you, we were talking about very briefly before we went online. How do you find that? Is it a nice respite for your head? You t- you're huge, obviously, into mindset and everything like that. Talk to me about that. Uh, I love it. To be honest, I, I, we had a joke beforehand that if you told me 10 years ago um, that I'd be living back out home, you know, I'm 30 now. I was 30 in December, 31 this December coming. And I lived in California for a year. I lived in London for four years. So I was gone for five years total out of Ireland. And I thought I was gone. Like, Dennis, when I was gone, I was like, nah, I'm never coming home again. And I'm like, I'm staying in California. <laughs> um, but now it's heaven. Like, yeah. I'm very fortunate with the kind of the drowned in opportunities with things that come my way right now. And to have the serenity and the peace of mind and the quietness where there's not that chatter. Like, my internet's not even that fast to upload videos out here. Like, I have to go to town to upload my videos um, and I've got a team of people who do the podcast and they can edit it and upload it and do all of that. My internet's not even fast enough. So it just gives my brain time to quieten down and process information. Um, and again, it's just, 
I had gone the other way with that when I was living in London and then I moved back to Galway City. And once you're in a city and you're around people, you're that mental chatter is a little bit worse because you're getting yeah. input from everybody and everything. And it just, for me, I found it more difficult to make actual good decisions. I'm not sure if you found the same thing, you know, in Belfast or even just when you've been in cities. For an absolute fact, I was just saying, literally just after coming back from Chicago, and I feel as though everyone's kind of resorting back to kind of very simplistic ways of living. So when I was in America, everyone was saying, dude, you got to get to Colorado. And I don't know if you're about Colorado. Colorado is all mountains and, you know, free spaces and just fresh air. And being out the open. Weed as well. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Colorado, I'm like, yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the first to legalize it as well. That's correct. That's correct. What I mean is in terms of actually getting the respite and the, the serenity within your head to be able to kind of clear your mind. Is that kind of what you're saying there? Yeah, like when, what I find is, and we very, very briefly talked on this literally before, like, you know what, let's press record and go, is I found myself like mindlessly scrolling through my phone. And I've got my entire business is online. My team is remote and my entire business is ran via online programs, online consultation, online, everything is online. So I can find myself hours and hours on the laptop, on the Mac or on the phone. And I was mindlessly scrolling through things like social media and I'd be hours doing it. And you're not really conscious that you're making, you're wasting time. And I would come back at the end of the day. And one of the things that I talked about on my podcast is the difference between being busy and being productive. And I had that massively confused for a long period of time, confusing movement with progress that I would be spending hours doing stuff and I'd be on social media. I'd be replying to messages. I'd be scrolling through. And then the end of the day would come and I'm like, I've been working all day and I've nothing done. done. And that feeling, and you can only do that so long before you realize that you're going to bang your head off the wall for so long before it starts to hurt. You're like, I'm not actually getting anything done. Um, so being out in the country for me just allows me to kind of shut all that down. Like normally from 6 PM, like we're recording this at five, from 6 p.m., I literally have digital devices are done. Like, really? they're, they're done. The digital detox is completely done. Um, and then I normally go to bed pretty early. Like, I'm in bed by 9 and I'm up at 5 every morning. And that, that's it. Like, I don't touch my phone. Generally, I don't, unless there's a, something that I need to check in with somebody or I'm feeling like, you know what, I didn't get, actually get to do a Instagram Live today or whatever it is, I might pop up. But yeah. 99 out of 100 times, 6 p.m. comes digital detox, phones put down, and it doesn't get touched again until the following morning. That's so interesting here. I mean, for a guy who's literally taken over social media by storm, it's really interesting to hear that and refreshing to hear that. So, Brian, what we do at the very start of the show, we do a game called Association. It's a word, phrase, or a sentence, first thing that comes to your head. It's a very simple thing. You've probably done this before. If we can kind of keep it very concise uh, as best we can to get on with this, okay? So, mindset. Books. Marathons. Hard. Relationships. Struggle. <laughs> Favorite book? Charlie Munger's Poor Charlie's Almanac. Perfect. Love? My daughter. Childhood hero? Probably Pork Joyce, the guy football. Oh, fantastic choice. I love that. Uh, did you, were you there for the 2001 uh, All-Ireland Final? And, and 1998. 1998. And, and the 2000 replay when we got that play. <laughs> oh, I, went to, I didn't miss a Galway game for 
probably about six years, league or championship. I didn't miss any football game for probably about six years. That six-year period. Children. Want more. Anxiety. Worked on. Nutrition. More important than anything else. Singing or dancing? Neither. (laughs) Turn ons. (laughs) Not for me, anyway. (laughs) Uh, turn ons. That's that's not either of them. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the last one? Uh, turn ons. Redheads. Turn offs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we go down that route. I don't. I don't discriminate. But uh, yeah. Uh, um, Self absorption. Okay. Yeah. Money. Not necessary. Impulsivity. Character flaw that I've had to iron out. And Connemara. Love it. Yeah, as we were speaking about already. I want to talk about money for a second. You said it, it isn't, as, and for we hear from a lot of people, it isn't the be-all, end-all. Do you truly believe that? Um, yes, but only recently. Um, to, to be honest, money was something that I worked so hard for in the sense that I was very unaware of some of the subconscious biases that I had towards it. And for a long period of my life, I chased a number on a figure thinking that, well, success is when you hit this number. And for me, that's, that's how I lived. I literally strived. When I started my business first, I'm like, I'm going to make X amount. And I'm very fortunate, like Dennis, I'm so fortunate in the living that I make yeah. and I have more money now than I ever would have dreamed of and I'll, I'll never have to worry about it again as long as I don't do anything stupid. And uh, But there was a period in my life when that consumed me and I was constantly working to that number and working towards this X figure. And then I did a really, I did this really stupid thing and I spoke about it. I'm writing my second book at the minute. I actually wrote about this this morning that I did the stupid thing that I'm always telling people not to do. Uh, like the definition definition of insanity is doing the same, same thing, thing over right. and over again and expecting a different result. And I hit my number in 2016. And I'm like, okay. I was like, awesome. I was a bit, felt, felt a bit proud. I was like, awesome. Okay. I hit my number. You know, I got to this figure. Um, and then I was like, I, I felt hollow. I didn't feel mm. any different. And I did that stupid thing that everybody does. And I was like, no, it's not X number. It's Y number I have to hit. <laughs> and for about six months later, and the analogy I normally use is climbing the ladder against the wrong wall. And I was climbing up this ladder thinking that, do you know what, if I make this amount of money, not realizing that after a certain amount, it actually your life doesn't change at all. Like it, yeah. it literally doesn't change at all. Like after, you know, 50, 60, 60, 70,000 a year, there's no difference. Like, and, and difference not to between 100,000 a year. Was it, was it trying to attain true happiness you thought that was going to bring you, or what was this money going to bring you? It was a misalignment in what success meant for me. I, I, what, what I did after that was, was a very pivotal turning point in my life because I had done so well in this realm. And like, and I was crushing it. Now I was working 16 hour days, but I was crushing it. Like I was making more money in a month than I was making in a year of teaching. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. I keep doing this. And then I was like, why do I not feel happy? Why don't I feel, you know, successful or whatever? Like again, success is whatever success means to you. It's so important to define what that metric means for you. And after that, I started to break my life. I had this 
moment where I'm like, okay, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm not going to feel any better with my circumstance. I'm like, I feel really hollow. I don't feel that my life is actually progressing forward. I don't feel super fulfilled. What's going on right now? So after a long kind of deep consideration and thought with myself, I started to break, I broke my life into four quadrants, which I speak about regularly in my podcast, into health, wealth, love, and fulfillment. And I score those quadrants out of 10 every month or so. So my health, my physical body, my mental health, wealth, my bank account, um, love, the relationships, my daughter, my mother, fulfillment. So how is the world better because I'm here? And I was at about a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 in the wealth, but I was really low everywhere else. My health was only at about a 6, even though physically I was in good shape. Mentally, I wasn't in a great place. My love, my relationships were nearly non-existent. My daughter was only young at this stage, and she was a real turning point for me because it gave me new meaning and gave me new fire. And my fulfillment even, even though I was putting stuff out there, I didn't feel like I was helping people. And when I did that, self-analysis like there's a big thing about leaning into the discomfort of getting an answer that you're not happy with yeah and i try to like spin it you know and i'm like i don't know it's it's okay i'm actually not doing too bad in all these areas but the reality was I, i was doing really poorly and when i identified that i was able to work on it like you i one of the things i talk with people that i work with in business consultations is i don't care what the problem is i don't care if you can't sell i don't care if you're a crap personal trainer but a lack of identification is a real problem not the actual problem and i was once i identified what the actual problem was i was like right i actually need to start putting more into these buckets and again it's relative and it's a it's kind of a synopsis of from a to b in a very short period of time But over the last two years, my daughter's three now, and over the last two years, everything has moved towards improving those four quadrants. And every decision I make, every opportunity I take is based off, does it move the needle forward in one of those four areas? If it doesn't, then I don't do it. If it does, then I'm I'm all in on it. Um, And that, it was, again, a lot of it was subconscious my own insecurities projecting in different ways um, where I'm like, okay, I need to keep up with the Joneses. I was like, I'll get the, I'll get the new car and then I'll feel successful. I have a 161. Yeah. I got a 161 in, in, in 2016. I'm like, cool, I got the car, got the house, <laughs> bought some new clothes. And I'm like, I still feel the same. Like you put the, the new guy into, the, into a new car or an old guy into the new car and you get the old experience. Like until you change your mindset and make that shift, you can feel it. Like you can be the, the richest person in the world but be really, really have a poor mindset because that's mindset. Being broke and being poor isn't the same thing. Being broke is having no money. And I've done that three times before I got my business off the ground. Poor is a mindset because you can have no money and be the richest person in the world if you've got valuable areas of your life that are supporting you and you're you're feeling fulfilled in the things you're doing either externally like the podcast that you're doing now or your relationships um but yeah that's kind of where it came for me in a kind of a roundabout way i i just find it really really interesting because you'll have to admit that health wealth love and fulfillment are all very simplistic terms correct yeah and you also are living a very healthy simplistic lifestyle outlet out west in mom yeah. I think that's the way that we need to go forward. I think people kind of model up their kind of thought processes. You talk about t- t- taking kind of a, a step outside yourself and kind of looking objectively at yourself as a person um, and just kind of breaking yourself down in its most simplistic components. Talk to us a little bit about that. 
or the way that you kind of direct people with regards to kind of life coaching? Well, the truth is there's genius in simplicity. And I'm very, very aware that the easier a concept is to understand, the easier it is to get it across. And again, the health, wealth, love and fulfillment sounds really simple, but I had like 12 different things. And I'm like, okay, we got to make this simpler. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to follow this <laughs> and, and actually account, be, be accountable to myself for this if I don't simplify it a bit. And again, I've spoken about this on my podcast. I spoke about another channel. Like we really overcomplicate life. Like make a list of the things that make you happy. Make a list of the people that make you feel better and that you enjoy spending time with. Spend more time with them and do more things that make you happy. Make a list of the things that make you unhappy and the people that drain your energy and are emotional vampires and spend less time with them and do less things that make you unhappy. It's that simple. And a lot of it comes to just making a decision. And whatever your belief system is, whether you're a you know, law of attraction universe person or your cognitive neuroscience reticular activation person, your your brain's internal GPS, whatever side of the spectrum you fall on, a weird thing happens when you make a decision because everything starts to open up and you start to see things a different way. And that's what happens. When you make a decision on right. These are the people that I want to spend more time with. These, this is the job or this is the thing that I want to spend my free time doing. These are the things that make me happy. Actively doing more of that is yeah. basically how I try and spend my life. And it's why I try and preach to people. You know, I don't do life coaching. I put out all my stuff online for free. I'm like, you don't have to join a membership site. I'm like, just listen, like apply it because knowing and not doing is the same as not knowing. You can hear my message or you can hear a message from somebody else, but if you don't apply it, you may as well not know it. And that's the only difference between me and me of probably three years ago. I knew a lot of this stuff, but I didn't apply it. And now it's a case of just being accountable. Like I've done well in my fitness career in terms of professional fitness model, competitive bodybuilding, ultra marathon running, things along these lines. And that all came from accountability and being accountable to myself and going, right, am I improving? Is my physique, am I getting more muscular or getting leaner? Is my marathon time improving? I was staying accountable on that. And I'm like, okay, I just need to take what I've learned in that sector of life mm. and apply it elsewhere. And once you're accountable and you're coming back to it, you're, you're realizing, because at the end of the month, like Dennis, if I, it, every month, if I come back and go, okay, health was a nine this month, wealth is a nine this month, love is a seven this month or a six this month, I'm like, okay, why is that down? I'm like, okay, I was really busy with work commitments. I didn't get to take my mum for coffee every week, or I didn't get to do daddy-daughter day one day this week. I do that every week with my daughter or whatever reason. And then I'm like, okay, next month. I'm going to improve that next month. And it allows me to see what areas of my life need improvements. So that's what works for me. It's not a case of everybody should do this. It's a case of me sharing what I'm doing, whatever resonates and lands, apply it. And if it works for you or works for anybody that's listening, then double down it. If it doesn't cut it and move on and experiment with something else. Why do people do that, Brian? Why do people make it difficult for themselves, do you think? Um, I think we get so caught up in our own stories that it, it's all the limitations that we create or all the stories we tell ourselves are, th that's all they are. They're stories, but I think they're powerful because a lot of the things you do are either subconsciously ingrained in you. And I had it, Dennis, up until the age of 25, I wasn't super confident in the sense that like, 
now I, I again without the bravado and from an ego standpoint like I think I could do anything like I ran yeah. 250 kilometers through the Sahara Desert self-sufficient in April and Which I we'll came back from that and I'm like, on, I, yeah. can, I can do fucking anything after that and but up until the age of 25 I didn't have those belief systems I just my automatic go-to was I don't think I can do that that's for somebody else to do and I loved the Confucius quote that he who says he can and he who says he can't are both usually right. And that's so powerful and so true. And my automatic go-to was, I can't do that. It's other people that can achieve those things. But confidence is a really weird phenomenon. Like I always picture it for myself. It's like legs on a table. And the more legs you have on a table, the stronger and sturdier that table is going to be. Yeah. And every time you say you're going to do something and you go and do it, it adds legs to the table and confidence improves as a result. It's one of the reasons I love the gym so much and love fitness so much because that's why people think that when you go to the gym and you transform and go from, you know, 70 kilos to 60 kilos or you go from, you know, a skinny 50 kilo guy to 60 kilos of muscle or whatever, people think it's the transformation that, you know, makes that person more confident. It's not. It's the act of setting small goals yeah. that you end up hitting along the way and the person person you become as a result of getting from A to B. It's not getting from A to B that transforms people. It's people that are physically suffering and psychologically transforming by pushing their body to a limit and hitting targets along the way. Going from, oh, I can only squat or bench a barbell to now I can add 2.5 kilos on each side. Going from, oh, I can only run a kilometer to now I can run one and a half kilometers. And then building on that, that's adding legs to your table and that's building confidence. And that's how people are psychologically transforming and, and feeling like they can achieve things and how you do anything is how you do everything because you take that and then it trans goes into other areas of life i saw it as a one-to-one -one personal trainer where people would come in with their heads down wouldn't be able to do anything and six months later they're like a new person walking around that's not the process of going from a to b that's who they had to become to go from a to b and then taking it and applying it in other areas of their life that's why I love it so much. Why people don't do it, that's probably a story they tell themselves, but that's kind of one of the reasons I love the gym and fitness so much. Sorry, I can talk. No, you're so fine. I, can, I love I it. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> your mess becomes your message. I'm living embodiment of your mess becomes your message. And I, and and I want to talk I, about your mess, if you don't mind, for a second, Brian, because... I think it's a phenomenal story. I really, really do. And I enjoy it. And I speak a little bit about in the podcast, you know, where I found myself at a time in a predicament in 2015. And I turned to a bit of your material and it was a stage where you were kind of up and coming at the time. And my mess literally did become my message. But I want to talk about those really difficult days. You found yourself in London. You were working as a teacher in London at the time, wasn't it? And yeah. you were in this, I don't want to say deadbeat job, because there's plenty of people who are very, very fulfilled working as teachers, but you knew this just wasn't for you. You were just after having a, a child at this point in time as well. There was uh, so much I came stuff. Back, it was, I was still in London. Holly wasn't born until I moved back. There was just so much stuff thrown on your plate at one specific time that you didn't even have any anything to hold this table up how, how did you how do you build yourself up when the table isn't even standing it's sometimes it's funny because you spoke about kind of coming across my content sometimes people just need a spark because it, it's easy to light a fire but you just need that spark 
And for me, it was, I hit a low. Like I remember, I remember my moment and I, I put it, I wrote about it in my book, The Fitness Mindset, the very start of the mindset section. When I was walking toward, towards my girlfriend's house at the time in East London, and I was listening to Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. And it was the section about, uh, it was an act, a, a, a thought experiment where you're walking into a funeral and you're looking into the casket and it's your body. And you have your family are coming up to speak about you, then your friends are coming up to speak about you, and then your um, people in your community and your neighborhood are coming up to speak about you. They're like, if you died right now, what would they say? And I remember getting this landing and thinking, I wouldn't be happy with what anyone has to say about me right now. And I was like, I haven't done anything. I haven't helped anybody. I'm like, yeah, people would miss me, but, you know, my family and people closest to me. But I felt that my internal compass, and I, that's the analogy I normally use. Some people call it their inner voice. Some people call it, you know, whatever label you want to put in it, that gut feeling. Yeah. And my, my compass was pointing in another direction. I'm like, I can't keep living the life I'm living now. I'm like, this isn't what I want to do. And it hit me like a brick to the head. I remember stopping. I was walking down in out by the Olympic Stadium was where I was walking. And I remember stopping dead in my tracks on an October evening. It was nighttime. And I was walking home from school. Like I got the tube and was walking home. And I was like, that's it. I was like, this has to change. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I handed in my notice. I left my teaching job um, that Christmas. So six weeks later, I moved back to Ireland and got my, I was already personal training in the evening times as a teacher in the day and personal trainer at nighttime and came back and started doing it full time here. And, you know, fast forward four and a half years later or so. And I'm, I'm at this point now in a very fortunate position. Um, but yeah, I remember that that's what did it for me. It was, that was the spark and people will get different sparks from a story from somebody else. You could have somebody, Dennis, listen to this podcast. It gets the spark from something that me or you say, you might get it from a book. You might get it from another podcast. Something will trigger and then it's just a case of being making that choice that yeah. right I, I this has to change because what what this where I could have fallen down was I didn't hate teaching I quite mm. liked it as a job like I loved working with the kids and I liked it but good is the death of grace and I knew it wasn't what I was meant to do and it's it what started everything. So when you have no legs on the table, sometimes all you need is that spark. And then you start to build the confidence along the way as you start to set a target and then you hit it. Start small. It doesn't yeah. have to be big. This is why I'm so big on people getting up earlier in the morning or going to the gym or walking around the block after work when you know you're going to be tired. It's doing things that you don't want to do because it makes you psychologically stronger. I hate mornings. I hate them. <laughs> like I would sleep in till 10 or 11 every day and be like, yeah, this is awesome. But I get up at 5 a.m. because it makes me psychologically stronger. Dennis, I fucking hate to run. I hate it more than anything. Like I love wow. the gym, but I do it because it makes me psychologically stronger. Like I'm a big believer in that when you live in a state of perpetual discomfort, you get psychologically stronger as a result. And it shows up in other areas of your life. Like every time I don't want to sit down and write when I'm writing, say, a second book, or I've got a meeting that I haven't slept the night before, or if Holly's been sick and I've been up till, you know, 12 or 1 a.m. and then I got to get up at 5 a.m. to write you're you're drawing on these circumstances when you haven't felt right or you don't want to do it and you do it anyway like i'm a 
big believer that successful, I'm not calling myself successful, success is what it means for you, but successful people do what they have to do, whether they feel like it or not. And that allows me to kind of cultivate that mindset and makes me stronger. Um, so it's why I do it. And I, I, again, it's something that served me and it may not land or resonate with other people, but it's helped me completely transform everything I do because half the battle of success is just showing up. It's just doing it whether you have to do it or not. And, you know, not letting your story limit you and just getting on with it. Tell me, Brian, what was your favorite failure in life? To the to date, obviously. Um, oh, I've had so many. Like <laughs> that's the thing. That's what's so funny from the outside world. When people are looking in, you, you're kind of seeing the all the things that work. You see, um, like my book did so well. It was Amazon bestseller for three months. It was bestseller in Irish stores, the podcast with the amount of downloads, uh, the money, physique, all these things, the external people put as success. But we don't see the failures, even though I talk about them quite a lot on mine because I'm I'm big on failures feedback. Like I fucking hate success Mm. when you do well because you learn nothing from it. You automatically close your mind off. When something goes well, you never sit back and go, oh yeah, you give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back and you're like, oh yeah, that went well. Whereas when you fail at something, you have to pull it back and go, okay, well, why did that fail? Why didn't that work? I've had a few. Um, I've had a few, like my, my, I, it took me three attempts to get my business off the ground. So probably my biggest one, because it set everything up was the second time I got my business off the ground when yeah. I got money and I was given money. My mom and dad gave me money. I remember they gave me, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was, it was a couple of thousand pound at the time I was in London and they were like, okay, look, you can pay us back when you make it work go make your business successful, go become a personal trainer. And I took that money and it was gone within six weeks. I rented a gym. I bought gym equipment. I did, I bought, got business cards. I did all this stupid shit that you just don't need to do. Mm. And I wanted to look the part and a lot of it was fronting going, I'm a personal trainer. I'm going to be amazing. And I ran through all my money. It's one of the one of my favorite books. I love Richard Branson and all his stuff. But he just had a really simple term that's like, if you've got money coming into your left pocket and money going out of your right pocket, you need to make sure there's more money in that left pocket at all times. Yeah. And a really simple concept. And I went the other way completely. It's one of the reasons that I like it. And piggybacking that off, I've told this story on my podcast about going through, I remember I, it, was the fir- it was the first time ever in my life I was broke, broke. Like I'd gone broke before, but I still had a little bit of money that I could pay my rent. It was at zero. The first time my bank account was at zero. And I had to go to the back of my couch in London to get money for the bus so that I could go down to NatWest Bank and take out a loan to pay my rent that month. And that was a low because I, I felt like an absolute failure. I also didn't tell anybody because I didn't really have a super strong network. And I was embarrassed that because I told everybody. Then as I told everybody, I was like, I'm going to be this awesome personal trainer. I was like, this, you wait and see, yeah. wait and see all the ego and bravado that comes with it. And I was really embarrassed then, and I was real tail between my legs. And that was the time when I was like, I'm done. I'm like, not fitness isn't for me. This isn't going to work. I was like, I'm done. That was the only time in seven years I've been doing it that I was like, no, I'm going back teaching. That's it. I'm, I'm finished. And the reason I love that 
failure so much is because that gives me a reference point because when you use it as feedback, one, I'm really good at money right now, like really, really good. My knowledge on just income outcome or, you know, revenue generated versus outgoings, investments, really good on that because I had to learn it because I was stupid and I had to learn from it. And I had to own the fact that, look, you were fucking stupid. Like there was no need for that. And I had to be like, you got to figure out how to work this going forward. So it set me on a trajectory that gives me a reference point every time things are going bad because that was the only time I wanted to quit. I was like, I'm done. I'm like, no, this ain't for me. And even now when I get setbacks, either financially, not so much in the last few years, but getting off the ground first or in my personal life or in fitness or whatever it is, I draw on that because when you're able to tap into that, emotional feeling of you're a failure you're a loser everybody was right when you're able to tap into that and you come back from it and out the other side it makes you stronger like it makes you a better version of you but you have to choose to see those failures as feedback like i always use the example with relationships every bad date you're learning from it if you're choosing to see and go okay i've seen you know People come out of relationships, and I'm not a relationship expert, but but no meals am I the person to talk to about it. But I understand basic human psychology, and I have a lot of friends at that age bracket, you know, a lot of my friends, 27 to 32, in that kind of time in their life, where if you break up, it's like, shit, they break up with the people they thought they were going to marry. And I'm like, okay, you've got feedback now. That's clearly not the person you were supposed to be with. Why did that not go right? It's the same as you do in the gym. Like if you're trying to get in shape, but you're eating Ben and Jerry's or pizza and Domino's every night, it's like, well, it's probably the pizza and Domino's that's setting you back. Like same way, how you do anything is how you do everything. You can apply it to relationships. You can apply it to business, but you got to be able to tap into those failures and learn from it and then use it to propel you forward. I don't think failures are a bad thing at all. Like, I welcome them because you fucking learn from them every time and they're feedback. And if you can use them for feedback, you're going to get better. You're going to get stronger. You're going to become more successful if you choose to see it that way. How much of a psychological and emotional burden was it on you when, unfortunately, your relationship didn't work out and you knew you had a child on the line, essentially? I very fortunate in that circumstance. Um, I have an amazing relationship with with Holly's mother. Um, like she's an amazing person. Didn't work out with us, but she's an awesome person. Amazing mom and an amazing person. Um, so I was lucky because I I was lucky that I'm a big believer in the Brandon Mull quote that smart people learn from their mistakes and the really sharp ones learn from the mistakes of others. And I've seen friends in a similar circumstance where they break up and the child, the daughter or the son gets kind of torn between yeah. the parents. And we've had this discussion, me and Ali were like, look, we never want that to happen. And then it, it doesn't, it never has. Um, like we've been very, very lucky in that sense. So to be honest, I've never had to draw from it from personal experience because I've never had to deal with it. Her mother's such a great person, but you can be a great person and not mint for somebody else. Like that's happened. And that's all really the time. important. I really want you to uh, develop that point there because I think it's a really, really important point. Well, what happens with a lot of people, again, and I see it again, I'm, I'm drawn from other people's experiences where people stay together just because of their kids. And Again, I'm not an expert in relationships. I'm not an expert in that. I can only speak on my own experience. But if you're not meant to be with that other person, and if you're not in a good relationship, 
like again i'm not speaking that that relationship was particularly bad it just wasn't meant to be we weren't meant for each other it was just that circumstance but i see people all the time time that are in relationships and they don't like I one of the things that always used to land at me Dennis was when I'd be working in a gym and a guy would come in he's like oh the missus has gone away for a few days fucking awesome I'm like oh I was like I never want to speak about my yes. girlfriend or wife or partner like that like this is your other your, it's called your other half for a reason like they're supposed to be the other half of you and I was like I never want that to be me and that was a decision I made. It's a decision I live to this day. I never want to speak about that by somebody, and it, one of my five closest people, but particularly the person who's supposed to be your partner. And I, I, to be honest, I had to draw from other people, but I was fortunate in that sense that I didn't have to live it myself. And again, the best relationship ever, like Holly's the best child ever. She's got two parents that love her and we have an amazing relationship. Like she'll never know any different because we, we, we do family days all the time. We went to see the, um, the Incredibles movie together, the three of us. Like, we have a great relationship. And Ali's got another boy. Like, she's got another bar- boyfriend, and he's awesome as well. Like, it's we, – we do family days where it's the three of us. Like, that's, that's how we choose to deal with it. And, again, I'm not offering advice on how other people should do. Find what works for you. But it's a case of this is what works for me, so this is what I double down on. Is, is that difficult to you? And I don't really want to stress this point. Uh, we'll finish it on this, but is that difficult for you and other gentlemen coming into Holly's life as well at the same time? No, I'll always be her dad. And the same way as if, if other girls come into my life, her mum will always be her mum. That doesn't play... That will never be a factor. And I also... I'm, a, I'm not religious, but I love the serenity prayer of God grant me the serenity to understand the things I can't change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. difference I can't control anything external. Like I, th- I, I try and think of parenthood a bit like flying a balloon. Like you can hold on to the balloon, but you can't really guide what way the wind goes. So you could, the, all you can do is make sure that you're doing your part and holding on to the balloon as best you can. And that's my job as a dad because the wind can go different ways, storms can go different ways, but as long as I control and hold it and, and do my part, that's all I can really do. The rest of it then is all external. It's out of my control. I love that. I absolutely love that. Brian, I've heard before your perfect Saturday night is just in chilling with Holly watching a movie. How does a gentleman, a good, attractive-looking fella, you've got a nice little bit of stubble going on there. I thought <laughs> someone like yourself would be out, you know, disco and in Halo or the likes in Galway, surely. Um, yeah, to be honest, Dennis, I, I, I lived that life. Um, I had a really active early 20s. Um, one of the reasons that I didn't do anything was because that was my life. Like I, I was a weekend warrior. I worked and then I went out Friday, Saturday and some Sundays and then at the odd time during the week as well. Um, and I, I fucking did everything. Like it was, it was a crazy few years, but it's out of my system. It's not, I, I got very self-aware over the last few years and there's always going to be blind spots that's why you're in a circle of five people are so important because they'll point out the things that you don't see but I got very self-aware with what makes me happy and I love chilling on a Saturday night watching a kids movie like I love the Disney movies the Despicable Me's the Incredibles I love those movies oh they're brilliant and yeah they're awesome and Holly's Holly loves them as well and that's heaven for me like doing that and normally sometimes my mom I have an amazing relationship with my mom my mom will come over and there'll be three of us and we'll watch it like Holly's obsessed with with mom like she's literally like Nana's pet so like that 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 trifecta works very very well but that for me it's just I 
what I have, I've always kind of prescribed to, and as I said, I'm not the best person on this topic, but I, I find the probabilities and I work a lot of things off probability, the probability of me finding a life partner or another half at half three in halo after fucking 10 <laughs> pints of cider and a load of vodka and tequila unlikely it could happen <laughs> and people do like by all means people do it's just the probabilities aren't in your favor and i'm like nah, like I'm, I'm probably not going to do it that way and out in connemara um bumble or tinder uh, with your location services aren't going to help you really either either so <laughs> you're kind of damned <laughs> you do damned you don't really aren't you <laughs> kilometers <laughs> couple of sheep there that's all <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I, it would go amiss if we didn't speak about the Marathon Las Sabas, the 250 kilometers through the Sahara Desert. A gentleman who had never ran a marathon before this. I remember listening to your s- social media. I, I questioned you. I really did. I said, this guy is not going to do it. He's, he's full of crap. He's full of shit. He's not. He's. I, I, this is just too much. And he did it. I honestly was like, I couldn't believe it. Talk to me about this. That, that was one of those things that I remember hearing about Marathon de Sable, I was over at um, Tony Robbins' business mastery in Amsterdam last year. And I met a friend, Tom Otten, who's been on my podcast since super successful um, entrepreneur from Dubai. He's um, Welsh. And he was telling me about this run through the desert. And it, it like, because Marathon de Sable, like you could be running through the desert and there's people puking blood that are hooked up to IVs. Like that's some of the stuff you'll see because of dehydration and then all the facts that can come with it. And he was telling me about this race. And my first thought was, I don't think I can do that. And that was the first time I had thought about that or had that feeling in quite a while. And the seed was kind of planted. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. That's the reason I have to do it. Like, I'm always preaching to people behind every fear is a person you want to be. And like, I can't, I'm a hypocrite. If I feel that way and then I'm telling everybody, look, attack the fears, go after what you want Like you see the fuckers doing it all the time. And they're like sitting in their comfy houses. And again, each to their own, go do you, go do your thing, but don't preach your message if you're not going to apply it yourself. And I'm like, I'm fucking, I can't be this hypocrite. So I signed up and I was like, I'll just figure out a way. I had never ran. And like my first run was two kilometer run. I nearly got sick after it. Um, because like, I got, I'm not, I'm not built to run. Um, I'm about 85 kilos. I've got a farmer's build. I've quite a lot of muscle on my frame, not built to run. And, I was like, fuck it, I'll just figure it out. Like everything, that's the beauty of set the goal. And when you make a decision, the, whatever belief system you have, like I love Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist, that when you make a decision, the world, the universe conspires for you or whatever belief you want to put in it. Or you can come at it from the science point of view where your brain starts to see things that it didn't see before. And that's what happened. I was like, right, I'll just figure it out. So I started with two kilometer runs. Then I went to three kilometer runs. Then I went to four, to five, to 10, to 20. And then I built up to 35 kilometer runs. I'm like, okay, I'm doing pretty good. And then I ran a marathon. I ran the Dubai marathon in January of this year in a backpack and a hoodie to prepare for the heat of the Sahara. And that was my first ever marathon. I was like, okay, but came through that. Okay. 
I was like, I'm, I, I it was a bit of a false sense of security because I came through that quite well. And I'm like, yeah, I got the Sahara, yeah. but it's a whole kettle of fish. When you're out there <laughs> self-sufficient, and to, and I was scared. Like, I was scared Dennis going out there because I'm terrified of snakes. Like, I am fucking terrified of snakes. And you need to have a venom pump on hand at all times in case you get bitten by a poisonous snake. It has no to be. Way. It's on the checklist. They will not let you do it oh unless you have that with you. And I was having nightmares about snakes for the week before I went. And it was a case of coming through. And I did a podcast episode when I came back and I spoke on it. And Marathon de Sable, I'm, I'm a real type A personality. I'm like, right, set the goal, hit the goal. What's the next goal? Set the goal, hit the goal. What's the next goal? Join the club, yeah. Yeah, like, and, I, and again, it, it allows you from an external sense, you get stuff done, but you never really pause and reflect. I crossed the finish line of Marathon of Sobre and I'm like, well fucking done. Like my <laughs> leg, my feet were mangled. Like they were mangled. Like the, the, the way Marathon de Sable, for anyone unfamiliar, it's a marathon on day one, marathon on day two, marathon on day three, double marathon on day four, which is 86 kilometers. You have two days to do it. And then you finish with a marathon. My feet were mangled. They were destroyed. My the 86 kilometer, the double marathon on day four took me in just under 24 hours. And my body was, my hips and my knees were just, like I was all but crawling towards the end of that day. And I crossed the finish line. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, it was, it was, I, I remember thinking, well done. Because it, because I remember what it was like when I heard about it, thinking I don't know if I can do this. And for me, it was like adding a giant leg to that table. Like I came back from the Sahara and I'm like, I can do fucking anything. Like that was my belief system coming back. And you don't have to run to the Sahara to feel that way. This is so relative. Like for some people, you'll get that belief by going for a walk after work because you know you're going to be tired and you do it anyway. Or prepping your meals for the next day because you're tired or you'd rather sit and watch your favorite Netflix series. It's, it's relative. It's setting targets and setting setting a goal as saying you're going to do something and then doing it. That's what builds legs to those tables. And it was, it was the best thing I've ever done. Like it was best thing I've ever done physically in my life because it, I, I felt, and this sounds really weird. It's probably the first time I've said it. Like a part of me died in the desert. Like, and that's what I want to ask about. Did, did you hit a wall? Was there a stage where like, I have to give up. This is my life. I'm game over. no, that 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 never happened and i thought it would and i prepared myself for what are you going to do when this happens what are you going to do when you want to quit and it never now it came into my mind because i was hurting like on the long day after three marathons i remember from 50 kilometers to 70 kilometers I, we were running through the night and my body was just broken i was sweating that i had to run like five kilometers in one of those um the blankets that keep the heat in yeah because i was they were afraid i was going to go hypothermic because i was sweating because it's so cold in the desert at nighttime if you think about the heat during the day it's the polar opposite at nighttime and i was sweating and i had to be wrapped in that blanket and run 5k to to keep some of the heat in because i was shaking and but I never got that quit because I was running through. It sounds so, it's, it's, it's one of those cringy 
tricky things, but you do what you got to do to get through. But I remember thinking, like, if I quit, how, how the fuck am I going to tell my daughter, look, this problem is bothering you. You need to work through it, and you're going to go quit or run in the desert. I remember thinking that. I was like, you can't. I was like, you can't do that. You can't come home, and she's 16 years of age crying over something that's going wrong in her life, and you're telling her to push through it because just because it hurts, you need to push through either physically or emotionally. I was like, you can't fucking quit your desert run now and be like, yeah, here, you do this, but I do that. I was like, no, you get to the finish line. You just keep fucking moving. You put one foot in front of the other, and it doesn't matter if you don't think you can go. You just walk. You just move. You just crawl. You just run. You just jog. You just keep fucking moving. And that's what I did. Like, I, that's literally what I did for the last 20 kilometers of the long day and the last 10 kilometers on the last marathon. I was like, just move, just get one foot in front of the other. That's why I love it as a metaphor for life. Cause that's what everything's like. It's, it doesn't matter how slowly you go. If you know what the end goal is and you know what the target is, you just put one foot figuratively or physically in front of the other and you keep moving forward. If that's your relationship. If that's your business, if that's your fitness, if that's the marathon fucking disabla, you just keep moving. And as long as you're going in the right direction, you will get there. It doesn't matter how slow, slowly you go, you will get there. And that was a message I took when I came home. And I'm like, man, it doesn't matter what you're doing in life. It doesn't matter how fucking slow you go or how fast you're going or how well prepared you are, because you can only prepare so much for running 250 kilometers self-sufficient through the Sahara. It's mental after a certain point. And you just need to not break down mentally, you know? And I remember remember reading I, I love the Rudyard Kipling poem where he's like you need to keep your head around you when everybody else is losing theirs and people were losing their fucking shit because they're dehydrated there's no food obviously if you run out of food you run out of food your water's rationed there's snakes there's scorpions people were losing their shit and I remember thinking just keep going just keep moving forward and that has supported me since I came back because if I'm struggling with anything now and the gratitude just to finish on it like on day two, I spoke about this on my podcast episode of it. There was a sandstorm on day two, which blew away our tent. We had to fucking go into our sleeping bags. One of the guys, one of the poles that was in the tent slipped through his hand. Like I, was, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. It was one of those that I was like, I could die here. It was the only moment in the whole marathon of Sobler. I'm like, I could die. If one of these poles hits me in the head, I'm gone. And, and it slipped through one of my, one of the, one of my tent mates hands. And I remember thinking, Fuck. I also remember thinking if I survive this, it's going to make an awesome story. But I was, <laughs> at, at, at the time, I was in my seat and bag, and I'm like, man, if one of these poles come out and hit me, I'm gone. Like, one of the other tents that could have came through, and it would have pierced right through you. Like, you're, you're stone dead. Yeah. One of those poles that are keeping the tent down hits you, it gets you in your head, or it gets you anywhere in the body where there's a vital organ, you're, you're, you're gone. And I remember thinking, when I got to the hotel, when we got back, to the Moroccan hotel when the whole thing was over being in a bed with four walls and a roof I'm like I will never take four walls and a roof for granted ever again and I haven't there's nights where I'm like oh I'm a bit worried about this and I'm like hold the fuck on you got four walls and a roof and you got food in your cupboard shut up like you know and and then it automatically clicks you out of your your whatever story you're telling yourself at that moment in time you go back to that moment and you're like do you know what I'm actually super grateful for the amazing things that I have. And those amazing things can be four walls and a roof. Marathon Disability taught me these things. Um, it's why I'm big on just leaning into the things that you're afraid of or leaning into the things that make you uncomfortable because there's a stronger version of you out the other side. Brian, I can talk to you all day and we are unfortunately coming to a close, but I have a few very small questions to ask, very some niche ones. 
Can you tell us something about yourself that no one really knows? Uh, my life is really an open book um, because I put everything on social media. Ooh, I'm a big Garrett Brooks fan. <laughs> Even after he uh, boycotted the um, the Crow Park, oh uh, Garrett Brooks fan, oh Garrett Brooks fan. <laughs> um, what's your favorite quote? Oh, I have, there's an in-running joke on my podcast because I, I normally use quotes to make reference to points that I use. Um, I love the Charlie Munger quote that step by step we get ahead and not necessarily in fast spurts. And that's very relevant to what you were just speaking about with uh, Martin DeSalle. To you, what is the meaning of life? And I'll tell you what I think the meaning of life after is uh, after you answer your question. I think the meaning of life is finding fulfillment and fulfillment comes when you lose yourself in the service of others. So I I completely agree with that. I think the meaning of life is searching for the meaning of life. There's there's meaning within actually trying to find meaning. And I know that's a very kind of throwaway remark, but I I always used to think it was happiness. I used to always think, you know, it must be happiness, full attainment. But then I finally got medicine. I finally got the beautiful girlfriend. I finally got all these things. I was like, oh... I'm, I'm happy but I could be more happy you know when is this going to finish so it's the search for meaning and it's goal setting and goal achieving as you were saying 100% I, I again to come back to my second favorite quote is the Buddha quote that if you're not happy on the journey how do you expect to be happy at the destination and I think that ties in perfectly with what you just said I don't think there's anything else really that can be said here what I loved about this is I feel like I was just listening to a podcast. I just sat back in my chair and I listened to you speak <laughs> yeah, and it was phenomenal. Like I, I, go I, let you, on I, I totally didn't mean to do that. I love it. I love it. I let you go with the rugby ball and scored the try and I really, really enjoyed it. Brian, all that's left to say is thank you so, so, so much for your time, effort, interest and everything that you're doing, not just for me, not just for you, but for everyone else. I hope everyone will i'm sure for an absolute fact people will gain some serious value from this episode um this is episode 21 which is it's been phenomenal to talk to yourself today i hope that we can keep up to have this conversation and maybe catch up for a pint at some stage in, uh, in galway yeah 100 percent. sounds good thank you so much for having me on and thanks everyone that has stayed so far listening to me ranting on <laughs> brian just very very quickly before you go let us know let, let the listeners where we can get you uh, just in your social media platform networks and uh, whatsoever Probably the Brian Keane Fitness Podcast is pod, the podcast. So if you're obviously listening to a podcast, go check that out. Uh, Instagram, Brian Keane Fitness. Websites, BrianKeaneFitness.com. Um, yeah, everything is more or less. I'm on everything. So Brian Keane Fitness on like everything. <laughs> <laughs> Except for uh, Tinder and Bubble is all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's uh, on 200 kilometer search on that. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this was the Dodcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you again soon.